Welcome to The Inner Circle, the podcast bringing you into honest conversations about climate action. Together, we'll talk to business owners, experts, activists, and others who are working on circular economy initiatives on the ground. We'll uncover what we're doing right, where people are going wrong, and what needs to be done to change the system to value people and the planet. Together, we're making the impossible possible. Welcome back to The Inner Circle. My name is Erin Andrews. I'm the founder and executive director of Impact Zero, and I'm really happy to have you back with me this week to talk about all things circular economy. A couple updates before we get started. So the Accelerator applications are closing next week for our Impact Project Accelerator. Um, This is the last chance to become a member to submit your project proposals because those are due on the 20th. So if you're listening to this live, you literally only have seven days left. Um, But that doesn't mean that you can't become a member later on. It just means that if you do have a circular project that you would like some support with, um, then your deadline to get that in is next Friday. Uh, So also last month, um, so on February 1st, uh, we did the first ever circular networking night and it was really, really successful. We got a lot of great feedback. Essentially, it's like a non-Zoom networking night and it like felt very well, as natural as it can feel to like mix and mingle in an online setting. Um, But it was so, so great that we actually decided to do another one. So the next one is going to be on Monday, March 1st at 6 p.m. EST. Right now, it's just the Canadian circular economy community who are welcome. So if you're based in Canada, I will post the link to join in the show notes. Um, But if you're not based in Canada, I would love to be connected with you to see if there's any way that we can work together. So if you are interested, you can email me at erin at impactzero.ca. Of course, as always, if you would like to support the inner circle, I'd love for you to donate as an individual or even consider becoming a corporate sponsor with your company um, for not just the podcast, but actually for other awesome programming that we do at Impact Zero. Um, We do a ton of stuff, including the accelerator program. We do some research and then this is included in our education category. Um, But if you would like to do that, I would greatly appreciate your support. You can go and visit impactzero.ca slash donate. I would like to spotlight some businesses that are already in our network because I personally love the founders and I think that what they're doing is amazing and so I want to let you know about what they're working on as well. So this week I like to share the Fiddlehead Project. So the Fiddlehead Project is a small business in Toronto that curates art and STEM kits for children using upcycled and recycled materials that would otherwise end up in landfills. As teachers and moms, they aim to spread their passion for education and upcycling while raising environmental awareness in all children to become responsible, inquisitive, creative citizens who will grow to reimagine, recreate, and rewrite their world into a place of greatness. To learn more about the Fiddlehead Project or to get your own fiddle kits, you can visit their website at fiddleheadproject.com or on Instagram at the Fiddlehead Project. I will also link everything in the show notes below. This week's guest is somebody that I have known of for a while now, and I'm so excited to be able to welcome her onto the show. So this week, we are chatting with Frances Edmonds, the head of Sustainable Impact at HP Canada. 
She's been working at HP for the last 20 years and has been involved in building some massive, massive business initiatives with circularity at its core. Since you're somebody who is already into circular economy in Canada, I'm very sure that you have already heard of Frances already, Um, but if not, I can absolutely confirm that she is a complete boss at what she does, and I'm so excited to welcome her on. So without further ado, let's jump into our conversation with Frances Edmonds. Welcome, Francis, to the Inner Circle. Thank you so much for joining us today. You're very welcome. Excited to be here. Awesome. Thanks. So before we get started into the meat of this, uh, this conversation, I want to just get a sense of yourself, your story, how you went from testing water quality in the UK to now being the head of sustainable impact at HP Canada. <laughs> yes, it's not an obvious journey, is it? <laughs> so my first job out of uh, high school after doing a bit of hitchhiking around Europe was to uh, literally work in a laboratory testing water quality, not really knowing what I wanted to do uh, from a higher education perspective. So going to night school, studying chemistry. And as I began to see the link between uh, land use disruption and impacts on water quality, I began to go, hmm, I'd like to learn more about that and understand better. And, you know, my goal eventually was I'd like to be protecting the rivers that are feeding the drinking water for Yorkshire residents. And so I went off to do a four-year degree in environmental science, which included a a year working in a steelworks. Um, and realize very quickly that just uh, preventing pollution uh, after it's happened wasn't really a good way to go about it. So I took a job uh, after graduating, working for the UK government, enforcing health and safety and environmental legislation. And then when I came to Canada, continued working in the chemical and pharmaceutical industries as initially industrial hygienist, which is internal pollution control, uh, then sort of progressing up to environmental health and safety manager, and then took a completely sideways move into the tech industry, which um, literally wouldn't have happened if a girlfriend hadn't persuaded me I really needed to come and work at HP. And uh, I've been thankful for her ever since because I've been here 20 years now and steadily working my way from being uh, an internally focused environmental health and safety manager to really spend much more time outside of HP today, which when you think about sustainability 2.0, it's really about not just working in your own four square walls, but how can we influence the broader community that we're in on all fronts, whether it's diversity, equity and inclusion, to uh, social impact, to, you know, how can we change government policies to really get more of what we want? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. And it's so true. Like the sustainability, maybe when you had even started at HP over that 20 year period, I'm sure it's evolved completely. Um, Has anything, I guess, surprised you in that in that journey? Did you have any unexpected, um, I guess, progressions or projects happen as a result of this evolving definition of what sustainability is? Yeah, so this is one of those um, keep your eyes and ears open about what the opportunities are. And one of the reasons I'm still at HP, apart from it being a a great place to work, is there's a huge amount of opportunity. 
And it, it really stems from there being, uh, you know, the founding fathers, Bill and Dave, saying that the real re reason HP exists is to make a difference. Yes, we have to make a profit to be able to make a difference, but we're here to make a difference. And our current CEO um, quoted last year, we define ourselves not by what we make, but by what we make possible. So when you have that as a background for what you could do with a business, you're here to make a bit of profit for sure, but really the end game is to make a difference and an impact. And so we've been hiring people for 80 years who want to do that. So I have a teams of people all around the world who are busy thinking of ways to make an impact and make a difference. And so that's pretty exciting. I got an opportunity uh, probably seven or eight years ago to take a job rotation. And I wouldn't, if you had asked me, you know, when I left university, whether I was going to do this, I would have told you you were crazy. I got a job to run HP's volunteer programs globally. At the time, we had 350,000 employees. And each employee has four hours a month of paid time to volunteer and whatever they want. You can literally change the world with that. So um, never say no. Always think about the possibilities. And, um, yeah, the, the power of the brand is pretty amazing. And... Uh, there's almost nothing you can't do when you've got, uh, we're now a 55,000 person company after having split in half um, with that, that volunteer time, the resources, the brand power and the determination to make a difference. It's pretty cool. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And that's like the philosophy that we have at Impact Zero as well as at business. While a lot of people blame the climate crisis on major corporations. And for sure, there are certain corporations that are definitely at fault of, you know, polluting and all of these things. Um, but it's also a huge opportunity for businesses to be involved in being the solution, given the resources, the reach, um, and even just the the sheer power of like, even that four hours a month um, of volunteer time that is life-changing or, or game-changing um, for a certain initiatives or for, for social causes and community is a big piece of that. Um, so have you seen any business benefit, I guess, from having programs like that? Absolutely. So, so let's take the basic one, which is the employee engagement piece. The HR community has done a fantastic job of proving that an engaged employee is a more profitable employee. So we don't have to do that as sustainability experts. But we also did some, um, when we were part of the larger company, we did some data analytics looking at, for the people who do volunteering against the general population, so hugely uh, statistically significant numbers. And what we saw was that employees who do volunteering are more engaged across the board. And what we also learned was employees who do volunteering with teams of HP people were more engaged. And if they were doing skills-based volunteering as opposed to hands-on, which would be picking up garbage, you know, shoreline cleanup, painting a wall, those kinds of things that anybody can do. If they're using their skills, they become even more uh, engaged. So the first thing is you do it because, um, not because, but here's the spin-off that you wouldn't necessarily know about is the level of engagement that you get from your employees. And we see this, uh, perhaps one of the easiest way to think about this is, you know, um, when employees get very passionate about their particular cause, um, they'll volunteer their four hours, but they'll often do more than that because they're really passionate about the cause that they're helping. So that's just a simple example, but we know engaged employees stay longer to help that customer do that extra thing. You know, they're more dedicated. It's just, you know, an overall good thing. So, so attracting and retaining the best talent, which is really what service 
based businesses are all about today. Um, it, it, it's a key piece of that. The other piece that we're just starting to see, and unfortunately not as much in Canada, but I'm working on that, is last year we reported $1.6 billion in business as a result of our sustainability leadership. And so customers today are starting to recognize that they need to be looking very carefully about who they choose to do business with. And there's a whole bunch of reasons, modern slavery act, um, child labor, uh, chemicals and carbon and supply chains. And, and increasingly people are starting to understand, and I'll use a quote uh, adapted from Ray Anderson, the grandfather of business sustainability here. The fastest way to green your organization is to buy from one that's already done it. And so we're starting to see a shift to more sustainable procurement. Uh, Canada is lagging here, though, I will state that. And um, we could get into that at some, you know, as we move along here. But uh, so um, definitely it will win business. It will you know, open up opportunity for investors. Uh, if you saw Larry Fink's letter this uh, last month, um, chairman of BlackRock, uh, clearly stating businesses, Investors are now looking for businesses to be transparent about their carbon, and he picked carbon, but you could use any of the social, socioeconomic indicators. Um, more transparent because investors now need to know what is the climate risk of the businesses they're choosing to invest in. So you've got employees wanting it, you've got investors wanting it, you've got customers wanting it. Now there's no excuse, right? Mm -hmm, totally. And the listeners know that in a, my previous life, I worked in the uh, corporate citizenship team at TD, and I was kind of helping them with their ESG strategy. Um, and it was it's it was surprisingly difficult, I would say, to get some executives on board. Um, and maybe maybe not difficult, but just you have to inform everybody, right? Because the traditional um, business conversations are always around the traditional bottom line and not really taking into account people and planet. Um, so leaders like yourself and like Larry Fink, I think, are really making a huge impact on um, convincing people that maybe have traditional business mindsets, um, that sustainability is expensive and low return. Um, and they're really helping to chart that path forward. Um, so I want to also know a little bit about um, your, your work with the Electronics Product Stewardship Canada, because um, that's very collaborative, like that's very community um, driven with your membership. Um, and speaking of Canada being behind in sustainability initiatives, um, do you mind letting the listeners know a little bit about uh, that nonprofit? Yes, yeah, so it's a, a nonprofit uh, really formed to help steward in the extended producer responsibility legislation that was being drafted about a decade ago. And so each uh, waste policy and management is a provincial responsibility in Canada, which is a bit frustrating uh, given the size of the population we have. Um, but it is what it is. It's constitutionally that way. So as each province wanted to regulate EPR, which is uh, where a producer is responsible for their waste at the end of its uh, useful life, 
um, we had to put in compliance mechanisms. So, so the governments were really forcing us to work collectively as an industry to come together to solve that electronic waste problem. Um, so I helped form DPSC, and it's still in existence today, a collective of industry players who, who helped to manage that. Then there was a, a subset organization formed and um, for managing the day-to-day -day operations, and that is again morphing uh, as the new Ontario regulations came in for uh, trying to engender some competition in the take back and recycling uh, systems in Ontario. So it's an ever-evolving field. It's, it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And so I, I, I have this question that I, I ask almost every guest um, to under, better understand a, your perspective on sustainability initiatives and specifically circular economy initiatives, like what's working, what's not working, basically. Um, so knowing that you have this experience for, for the last 20 years with HP and working with a ton of different nonprofits and for-profit companies on their sustainability initiatives, what do you see as being a really big barrier to us moving the circular economy forward? I know there's probably a lot, but if there's like one big one or, or a couple big ones that you can think of, um, I'd like to get your take on that. Well, I'm going to come back to why I spend uh, a significant chunk of my job today is, is talking about procurement. And I'll give you a very simple example. So the circular economy is about trying to keep, uh, to use the materials that we dig out of the ground, that huge cost in greenhouse gases and species loss, to use those materials, whether it's oil for plastics or metals to go into the kinds of products that we make, try and keep those products in use for as long as possible. Uh, if you extend the average PC uh, notebook by two years, you decrease the carbon footprint by 30%. So everybody agrees we want to do that. The problem is, let's take an example of a laptop. If I want to make a laptop that is repairable, um, I do not need to glue it together. But gluing it together is the cheapest and fastest way to build a laptop. So if I decide, no, I'm going to screw this component into the laptop, let's say it takes four screws. Now I have to pay for the screws and I have to pay for the person's time to, to screw that piece in. When I come to sell a laptop in Canada, almost universally, the, the main thing that people are looking for is the price of that laptop. They want it as cheaply as they can possibly get it. So now I'm competing against a manufacturer who has glued that component into the computer versus myself who now you know, took the time and money to, to screw that in. When you're only competing on price, who's going to win the business? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the glued. <laughs> right. So here's the problem. We're not going to see the change in the marketplace unless the way we buy changes. And then less we value the things that we actually want more of. And carbon pricing is the simplest example of that. But when we start to look at products that are more repairable and more durable and can be taken apart and recycled properly, those are harder to measure things, right? And, you know, obviously why we're not doing it. But very rarely do we see in, in the way Canadians buy either as a consumer or as a business any of those criteria, they don't take the total cost of owning that product into, into play. And, you know, a good example 
little school boards who are strapped for cash and dis desperately trying to get technology into the hands of, of kids today because you can't study from home without a computer. Um, you know, often are buying the cheapest thing they can buy. But, you know, a kid using a computer is, is probably the, the worst damage environment you could think of. And if that computer gets broken, there's no money to replace it, the kids without a computer. So it has pretty devastating consequences. And then you can't recycle them very well, blah, blah, blah. Right. So so I was just trying to give you a microcosm of the problem that we face. Now, scale that up. Um, I funded some research uh, through Schulich School of Business and a, a consultant called Shift and Build. And we, we actually looked at how our governments across the country are spending our taxpayers' dollars. And, and government spending is about 13% of GDP in Canada. The analysis we did, we looked at 50 RFPs, mostly bids over a million dollars. So these are significant amounts of our taxpayers' dollars being spent. And we looked across the country, uh, all levels of government, and we looked at three categories of spend, um, construction, IT, and large services, which would be something like catering or security, right? And we analyzed how much sustainability was in the RFPs. What was the signal going into the marketplace? It was almost completely absent. They might talk about it. They might you know, put some waffly words in there, but when you get to... What am I being measured on? And remember, business exists to delight our customers. If our customers are not asking us, what is the carbon impact of this product? How repairable is it? Blah, blah, blah. You, you put in your criteria there. How diverse is your company? How much support do you give to your local community? None of those metrics are in there. We end up with a situation where there are less than 20 Canadian companies who set science-based targets to reduce carbon in the decade of climate action. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that that metric is really, really um, not shocking. I'm not I'm not surprised by it, but it is really upsetting because um, I think it's a well known <laughs> concept that you can't you can't improve what you can't measure if you're not measuring um, and you don't have those targets set. Then I mean, you don't even know if the initiatives that you have going on as a business are a doing anything. Um, or be doing what you want it to do. So um, for the listeners, science-based targets are things that are backed by science that, and um, targets that um, companies have put together to mitigate whether it be the carbon or water or other um, um, reduction, resource reduction um, goals, essentially. Um, so that is, I think the example that you spoke to brings up a lot of um, barriers because there's the design, there's the services, there's the competition. Um, and it just makes me think that like for, for that example, because depending on the example that you use, there's going to be a bunch of different ways to go about it. So on that laptop example, it makes me think of obviously doing a product as a service model. Um, and have you... Have you looked into the difference between, especially for like high ticket items like a laptop or, I mean, it's really big, obviously, in car leasing to do product as a service because they're leasing versus owning it um, and kind of challenging that concept of ownership. Do you think that's something that would be feasible in the tech space to do? Oh, yeah. And it's um, happening yeah. already. Um, yeah. We actually released, uh, and, and I should send it to you, um, life cycle assessment is the tool we use to measure relative sustainability impacts between one situation and another and so we used it i believe for the first time ever globally to show that 
accessing uh, technology as a service over owning the, the device has a much lower footprint across all of the, a much lower impact across all of the elements you'd be measuring in a life cycle assessment. Even we were shocked because that very rarely happens. So we've been offering uh, technology as a service for a long time. And I just want to clarify, as, as a service is not the same as leasing. Leasing is a financial arrangement only, typically. As a service includes a lot more than that. And I'll give you an example. Um, let's say uh, as a service for a PC, right? Uh, whether it's a laptop or a desktop. Um, if you take the example of a laptop uh, and going back to that, the faster you can get it to a second life, the better, because remember that extending the life by two years reduces your carbon footprint by 30%. So typically what happens is, you know, people buy a new piece of technology and, you know, at the end of, you know, three, four, five years, whatever it is, they buy a new one and they haven't thought about what they're going to do with that old one. And so it sits in a closet because people are worried about data privacy or environmental protection and they don't really know what to do with it. So it sits in a closet. The longer it sits in a closet, the less likely it is that it can be given a second life. If it is either leased or as a service, it will come back for a second life faster. If it's as a service, we will know whether that laptop had a battery replacement or not. The thing that usually goes the fastest is the battery, right? Depending on how the user is using it. If it's coming back off a lease, they're going to automatically replace the battery because they have no history. They don't know how that laptop was used and they don't they, they weren't running analytics on it as it was being used and they didn't know whether the battery had already been replaced. So there's a waste of a resource, right? That's just a very simple example. Um, I'll give you a consumer example. So, and this is how businesses should be thinking about the circular economy as an opportunity to blow up some very bad business models. So let's take the example of home printing, home ink printing. It is a really bad business model to be in. You have a customer who expects to be able to buy a all fancy, all singing, all dancing printer for $49.99. Remember that comment about making a, making a more repairable, higher quality product, right? You can't make a, a, good, a good, high quality, repairable product for $49.99. So you have to sell the product at a loss in order to be in the marketplace. And then you have to make up your profit because you have to stay in business. You have to make up your profit by selling the supplies that go into that, that printer at more than you would want to be and more than the customer wants to pay for them. So that's a disincentive for you to use, for the customer to use your product. So that is a pretty bad business model, right? How do you fix that? Well, Circuit Economy has a brilliant example here. It's called Instant Ink. And uh, HP uh, is pioneering this. It's the fastest growing business to consumer play in the circular economy worldwide. Customers love it. So let me explain what it is. So forget the previous business model. You've bought your printer. Now you have an opportunity to sign on to the Instant Ink subscription service. And it's based on how many pages you want to print, not how much ink you're using. The printer automatically orders the replacement cartridges when you need them. We ship them to you in less packaging, in a bigger cartridge with a recycling bag in the box. So what that means is customer pays a much lower price, as low as $3.99 a month, depending on how much they want to print. And if they want to print more the next month, they can pay extra and go over and do more. If they don't print all the pages that they've signed up for that month, they carry over to the next month. Very flexible plan. Business likes it because there's now a steady annuity stream coming in. You're not sitting there and waiting and hoping and praying that the customer is going to buy a cartridge. 
And then from a sustainability standpoint, the footprint is significantly lower. And we get more cartridges back because it's convenient and easy for people. And we can keep those going around in our closed loop plastics recycling program, which we do here in Canada. It's Canadian know-how that's enabling us to make plastics circular. And we don't get enough cartridges back. So we add in used drinking water bottles for one of the chemistries. And today we use a million used drinking water bottles a day in the plant in Montreal. Wow. And that plastic that we produce there can keep going around and it has a 30% lower carbon footprint than virgin plastic. Yeah, definitely. That's incredible. I, I actually, I have an HP printer. Thank you. Um, and I, yeah, and I saw the, the service and at the time I wasn't as well versed in circular economy, so I didn't like fully get it, but I was like, wow, that's very interesting. Um, because printers, I think, traditionally seem are kind of a frustrating product. You know, whenever you you want the ink, it's not there, and it's a whole thing. Um, but I think that's fantastic because then rethinking how this product is now servicing the customer, like thinking about the use of it. Um, have you seen um, customers? I mean, obviously, if they have the subscription, they're they're retained. But and if, if customers are liking it, but do you think that having that lens when you're thinking about the actual product now as a service and really with like the customer centered in the conversation, do you find that you're able to think of more innovative ways to serve customers then on top of the, just the product? Oh, absolutely. Um... <sighs> It, it, it's hard to explain all of the spin-offs that come from it, but uh, you know, the, if you think about the customer journey from a particular, you know, from the marketing standpoint, you now have that customer and you can talk to them and have a regular dialogue, and that is gold in itself, right? Um, I was just looking. I have a couple of numbers here. So last year, nearly a fifty percent year-over-year increase in revenue from Instant Ink, and over eight million subscribers worldwide. Wow. So this That's is incredible. not, yeah, this is not, uh, you know, a little little side project. This is major big business and showing you that it can work, particularly when you're blowing up bad business models. Yeah. That's the key. That's the key. Because if you can find, I mean, this is what we do at MPEG Zero. We're literally doing research to try to prove the business benefit of circular economy and get use cases to show people um, like leaders in the space. And that's exactly the types of things that we've, we've kind of known are possible and like we feel it um, just based on, you know, if you think about it hard enough, it makes a lot of sense, but um, trying to find the actual on the ground examples of it. And I think that's why HP is, and like the work that you've done with HP is really inspiring because you've actually been able to say, look, we're going to do it and we're going to chart that path. And the rewards are huge if, if it works out, which obviously it has. Yeah, so there's a couple of key pieces here and come back to the procurement piece, because we could have, you know, we obviously do manage print services and devices as a service on the PC side for large enterprise customers. We do that today. But, you know, the procurement piece is often where it stumbles because you'd have um, an IT person who's willing to do it. Uh, you might even have the procurement person willing to do it, sort of transition from, from CapEx to OpEx, right? This is the, the issue. Our financial systems are messing up this, this transition to sustainability because that, that shift from a CapEx to an OpEx expense just won't work in some, some organizations and a whole bunch of reasons. So, so you get tripped up on things that you wouldn't necessarily think would trip you up, right? <laughs> and, uh, circular economy, one of my favorite examples of the ahas is we were developing this circular plastics um, production uh, going on in Montreal. 
Um, as we, and, and this has been going on for nearly two decades now, pretty awesome. Uh, one of the things HP had always had, you know, we audit any sub vendors to make sure they're meeting all the requirements. Um, and we had people who audit our front end supply chain. And then we had people who audit the down end recycling supply chain. So now we have this, this quote unquote recycler in the middle who is, uh, are they an upstream because they're producing a, you know, a, a plastic that goes into new products or are they a recycler because they're taking a product that's coming from the recycling end of things? So, you know, this that was a question we never thought we'd have to answer, right? And I never figured out who did the audit in the end. But, you know, these are the, the interesting things that come up and you go, oh, I haven't thought of that one, right, when things become circular. The other thing when you're thinking about circularity, and I don't know if you've had this, but I can't see straight lines anymore. <laughs> I'm a very visual thinker. When somebody puts a concept in front of me, I'm like, no, 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 you've got you to bring it round. You have to put a circle in there. So. Yeah. It's like, where is this pointing to? <laughs> yes, Exactly. Yeah, that's very true. I was having a conversation. I also am a consultant for companies wanting to go circular. And I was having a conversation with a client about like these barriers that they've come up against that were so unexpected. And um, that's just it. It's like, okay, once you have the business model down, it, it in your mind might make sense, but you have to kind of think ahead of what's now changing in just like the the language that you use to communicate everything and how you're exactly like um, categorizing not just expenses, but then even how you manage the relationships with the vendors and like who from an internal organizational perspective is now managing it because you know how mm -hmm. silos work. Um, it brings up, yeah, a lot of different things. And that's why um, I, I really hope and I'm grateful that you mentioned that um, because people who are just starting out on their circular journey, we'll call it, um, it's, it's good to be aware of it, at least to expect the unexpected, like anything, but especially I think in this space, definitely have to expect the unexpected when you have these initiatives ongoing. Well, and, and it speaks to the need for more than just one element of an organization to be involved in this. Um, we recently uh, invested in putting in a, a wash line in Haiti where our ocean-bound plastics are being collected. And uh, we put a, a $2 million investment in to clean up the plastics before they come to Montreal. And it was a Herculean effort because, of course, COVID hit just as the machinery was developed, delivered to Haiti. And now we couldn't have anybody there on the ground to, to install it and get it running, commission it. Um, so we, everybody had to lean in and, and you know, anyway, the, the plant got launched and, and now is cleaning the plastics, which is great. But we decided to have a little ribbon, virtual ribbon cutting ceremony. And anybody who had had a part in it got to be on, the, you know, the... the um, you know the, the tiling of the 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 zoom call right we all had their little mini ribbon and they were all going to cut it at the same time and I looked at the number of people and the lines of business that, that were involved in it it was almost every business at HP wow yeah. because and, yeah. you need everybody to be aligned on something and everybody was more than happy to lean into this one because it's a fantastic project the the waste pickers now get more money per per ton of plastic so that they can keep their kids in school and have houses and feed themselves and you know during covid we actually committed to buy more ocean bound plastics so that they would continue to have employment during the covid uh, first lockdown that's great yeah and that absolutely speaks to again having a dedicated um staff and having having hired good people who care about this kind of stuff to take on herculean tasks such as those well, it, it doesn't feel like work when you're doing something that you're passionate about, right? You, When you really care about 
being able to make an impact um, job purposing, I guess, would be the way to think of it. And uh, what we just did globally at HP was we now make it possible and actually encourage every employee to put a sustainable impact um, KPI or whatever you want to call it into their goals this year and get measured on the contribution they're making. Now we've been doing that in Canada for a long time because we would you know, be a bit of a spearhead in Canada for HP, but um, now it's formally suggested that everybody puts one in. And of course we, we wrote some draft ones for them, but you know, sustainability is everybody's job. And I haven't come across a job yet that you can't build some sustainability into. So you just have to give people that permission to start thinking with a carbon lens or a circular lens or whatever it is and trust in them because they know the stuff they know what they could do in their job right Mm -hmm. yeah they're doing it every day and it's all about just being aware and knowing how to find those little gaps Mm -hmm. um, or those opportunities for sure and some of them are staggering in terms of the results that they can bring in right and just it's just having a different lens than just a straight dollar lens right Mm-hmm. Totally. Oh my gosh. I love that. And I wish we had more time to talk, but um, we, we're unfortunately running out of time. So um, I, the last thing that I wanted to leave everybody with, and I wanted to give you a chance to do um, is to just let us know, let, or let the audience know where they can find more about HP or about yourself and your work. And if there's any way that we can support you um, on social media, or if there are any initiatives you have coming up, now's your time to plug everything. And we can also link everything in the show notes for everyone to get to. Okay, so the first thing I would ask is we've got a horrible problem in Canada. We've got kids who are trying to study from home with no technology. And we have a solution here called HP Refresh, where you can take up to a 10-year-old Windows-based computer, put the software in from HP Refresh, wipe that computer to HP's data privacy standards, and install it will install a light operating system, a Zoom client, and a Chrome browser, which is just good enough to get a kid back online and learning. We've got an estimate of 200,000 kids in Canada not in school right now. This is a crisis, and we as individuals can each solve this. If you, if you did that with your old technology that's sitting around and just donate it to a food bank or a local kids' charity, we can help fix that problem. So that's the first one, HP Refresh, easily found. And then if you actually wanted to see more about our work um, here in Canada, hp.ca slash sustainable impact. And of course, globally, the same thing. Um, I would encourage you all to look at my brand new document, uh, hp.com slash go slash sustainable purchasing. And you can see some tips on how to buy more sustainable technology. It's not written from an HP perspective at all. Amazing. Thank you so much for all of those links. And as mentioned, they will all be linked in the show notes. So people can go and check that out now. Um, But thank you so, so much, Francis, for joining us today. I really appreciate your time. Thanks so much for joining us on this week's episode of The Inner Circle. Please rate us on Apple Podcasts to help others find us and learn more about the circular economy. If you'd like to join the Business Network, apply for the Impact Project Accelerator, or donate to our nonprofit, you can learn more at impactzero.ca. And if you'd like to stay connected, you can follow us on Instagram at impactzero.ca, on Twitter at impactzero underscore ca, or on LinkedIn by searching Impact Zero. Thanks so much for joining me this week, and we'll see you soon.